Some of you heard that extremely ugly woman singing on that second verse. Uh, he, Pastor Legault wants you all to know he's not gender confused. He's just really poor at hearing instructions. So thankfully, that's the case, all right? So at least that's, that's the story. So we're going to stick with that. Uh, if you would, grab your Bibles and uh, turn with me over to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, it, is good, it is good to be here tonight. Oh, I enjoy preaching out, but I don't enjoy it that much, all right? I just want you, I like being here instead, so uh, I did that. Brother Richard specifically asked if I would preach for him, so I did it as a favor to him, and uh, so that was, that was kind of a personal favor for a friend, so I really didn't, I didn't want to leave this morning and go over there, but here we are. I'm here tonight, and you're here tonight, and so let's, uh, let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And, uh, of course, uh, we'll catch a few extra verses here. He says in verse number, uh, verse number 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Uh, the statement Paul makes here, of course, in verse number 12 is, uh, fight the good fight of faith. That's the call he gives over to uh, Timothy. Timothy is supposed to be his child in the faith. Uh, he is somebody who is, he's taken under his wing and he is trying to lead and guide and trying to go ahead and show him what he ought to do and how he ought to live. In particular, he writes to him twice, First and Second Timothy, of course, to this young man who he's hoping to groom to take over in, in ministry and to lead the way. And he kind of is, at the end of this first book that he writes to him, he's given him this charge and he's given him this uh, ultimately of fight the good fight of faith. And oftentimes... Uh, we forget about the idea that you and I are in a fight. Uh, there's a warfare that's going on around us, and it's a constant warfare. Now, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface this whole message with one thing and one thing only, and then we're going to get right into it. But uh, the truth is, the battle of salvation starts everything. The saved versus the lost. If you're in here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior... Uh, you are on a losing side of this fight automatically. Uh, it's not that you chose the wrong side, it's that you haven't done anything to get off of the wrong side and get on the right side. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life a ransom for many. He died for the sins of the whole world, so in particular he died for your sins. And in doing so he made it possible to give you a victory over your sin made it possible for you to have victory in your life, but overall he made it possible for you to not be condemned to a lake of fire for all of eternity and gave you a victory because of his victory at Calvary. He gave his life, he paid the debt of your sins, he rose from the grave to seal a victory for all time in a fight that you could never win. And Jesus Christ paid it all and his return is he wants to give you the gift of eternal life for free. Now, that's your part in the fight right now. If you're lost in here, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, you are in that fight and you are in the fight, but ultimately it's the fight for your own soul at this particular moment. Tonight I'm going to talk about fighting the good fight of faith, though. And to the Christian, uh, this is something that you and I are a part of, whether we realize it or not. It is a constant battle. It is constantly around you. It is something that we have to deal with over and over again. And the truth is that most people in this life, they don't really want to recognize it. They bury their head in, their sa in the sand and they act as if it doesn't exist. And if I don't pay attention to it, that problem doesn't really matter. But you and I both know you do that in this life and you do that in this physically 
you decide, well, I'm just going to ignore the problem, then you and I both know the problem just gets worse. It doesn't get any better. And it often gets worse and often is highly detrimental to your physical life and so much more in your spiritual life. And so tonight, I'm just going to, I'm just going to encourage you tonight to fight the good fight of faith. And we're going to talk about that battle, where it takes place, who we're fighting against, and how to gain some victory tonight. And so uh, we're going to have a word of prayer. And uh, I'm just going to be honest. It's a fight tonight. And it's going to be a spiritual fight tonight. You're going to get distractions. You're going to get things the devil doesn't want you to get the right answers. And so I'm going to encourage you, fight the good fight of faith during the message and pay attention as best you can. And so, Father, I do thank you for the night. I thank you for the goodness of a holy God. I thank you for a wonderful Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for the victory he gave us for eternal life at Calvary. But, Father, it didn't stop there. He gave us a way to have victory day in and day out over the things that we face. And, Father, I do pray you would help us to recognize that fight so that we can gain that victory. And Lord, we do pray that you would bless our night tonight. Give me wisdom as I speak and help me to convey exactly what you want said with the words you want. Father, that Jesus Christ will be praised, honored, and glorified and that he would take the preeminence tonight. And Lord, I do pray if someone here is lost, they've never trusted Christ as their Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. They'd call upon you. Even now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn over, if you would, to second, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is... A very familiar passage to the folks in this church, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10, <coughs> excuse me, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we find, first of all, we find the battleground for this fight. The statement is, fight the good fight of faith, uh, but where do I fight that? Uh, where does this fight, where is this battle going to take place? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 1, Paul makes the statement, now I, Paul, myself beseech you. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, uh, the description here is that the battle is not a fleshly battle. Our, our battlefield is not the world itself and you and I walking around in it. The battlefield is far different than that. In fact, uh, you look down the passage, the battlefield that you and I have to fight in, the arena that you and I have is ultimately the mind. It's the thoughts, the imaginations, the things that come against the knowledge of God. Our battlefield oftentimes, when we get to that in a moment, we oftentimes see it as a fleshly battle when it's not a fleshly battle. It's not the person in front of you, it's not your family, it's not your friends, it's not your co-workers, it's not that person that was cutting you off. It is all in the mind. The arena is the mind. The battlefield is solely in the mind. If you conquer that place, you will conquer the rest. The external will have effect only if you let it affect the mind. That's the battlefield you and I deal with. Our struggle is an internal conflict that happens over and over again. You need to familiarize yourself with the place that you have the battle. Uh, I, I like to compare in the thought process. I, I used to watch a lot of it. I haven't gotten to watch it very often anymore. Uh, uh, UFC Ultimate Fighting. They have the cage, the octagon, the arena. If you're a wrestler, right, they've got the wrestling mat, and you can only stay inside that, that circle. If you get outside that, you're outside of the bounds. Uh, boxing match, you can't get outside of the ring. Any fight has its arena, all right? The arena that you and I have in this fight is the mind. Familiarize yourself with it. Know where you start getting out of bounds with your thought life. Recognize those things and close it off so you don't accidentally go where you shouldn't go. You realize that the battlefield is one where you say, well, uh, it restricts where I can go. Absolutely, and you ought to restrict where you go in your mind. 
Use the battlefield to your advantage. You realize that some guys were very good at the octagon and at fighting, and they would utilize the cage as part of their defenses as well as their offense to both defend themselves as well as to go in and get hits on the enemy and their adversary. They use it to gain advantage. They understood what the arena was for. Boxing, they'd get them up against the ropes. They would utilize those places so that they could gain advantage within the arena of what they are doing. Why would it not be so for the Christian? The problem is you don't pay attention to the battlefield. You don't notice where you've got openings and weaknesses where the devil could get through or where your flesh rises up and your the world goes ahead and has entry. You let those things in as if they're supposed to be able to get through the gates. When you're supposed to be the keeper of your mind. You're supposed to be the one who's allowing those things in or not in. You're the one who's supposed to be able to pay attention to what is entering the field of play in this warfare that you are dealing with personally. This is a personal battle. I cannot go into your mind and fight for you. Pastor Legault can't go in your mind and fight for you. Brother James can't go in your mind. Nobody else gets to fight it. You have to fight it. And the battlefield is solely yours because it's your mind. It's not mine. So you have to figure out what am I letting in and what am I letting myself wander outside of the bounds of what I should keep in my mind and what I shouldn't. It's all about your mind. It's the imaginations and the thoughts and the knowledge of Christ. What do you let wander? Well, then you're getting outside the bounds of what you should keep. You're getting out of the protection of the battlefield that God wants you to have. It's your choice what you allow in your thoughts and in your emotions and all those things playing together. And if you do not set the boundaries, you will be in a fight constantly and you will be unprotected in those boundaries. The battlefield is the mind. Oftentimes we think it's everything outside, but it's not. It's not fleshly and carnal. It's internal. It is the mind. It is what you think on. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well then, well, I just think that way. Stop thinking that way. Philippians 4, stop thinking that way. Think on the right things. I don't, well, that seems too simple. Well, why are you complicating it? See, this is the thing. We complicate salvation. We complicate we complicate the Christian life. We compli- it's often very simple. It's difficult to do, but it is simple in its explanation. Our battlefield has nothing to do with what anybody else does. It is very simply what you allow to think on. What do you let yourself think about? That will dictate your battlefield. What fights do you have to put up with? What boundaries will you set within your imaginations and the things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God and all those thoughts that aren't under the obedience of Christ? If you bring it under obedience, you don't have to worry about it. But we let ourselves wander. The battleground is the mind, but ultimately we have a great enemy. In fact, we have a threefold enemy. You know them. The first one is, of course, turn over to 1 Peter, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 5. I spent my morning preaching on, uh, I, preached, uh, I preached it here a little while ago. I preached on the importance of prayer and the importance of the Bible over there with Brother Richard's church. And it's not because I didn't think they knew about prayer or the Bible. Brother Richard's probably preaches on that frequently. I find that most Christians don't pay attention to the things that they know. We get used to what we already know. And then we don't think about it anymore. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, you know where I'm going. Verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
the devil is our number one adversary on the external. Uh, he's, he's it. You know what he wants to do? The devil, the devil wants to come at us and he wants to gain victory. He wants advantage. He wants to win. Uh, strangely enough, the devil is in a fight to win and Christians play around. Isn't that strange? Your enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy you in any means necessary. And you don't care enough to engage in a battle. That's the problem. The problem is the battlefield is your mind and the devil wins because you don't even put up a fight. The devil goes ahead and most of the time we don't even face him. But the truth is he reminds us and we won't go to all these places. If I did that, I would be preaching way too long tonight. All right. Uh, but 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he reminds us in verse 10 and 11 that we are not ignorant of his devices. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, as the statement Paul makes to the church at Corinth. You realize we aren't supposed to be ignorant about the way the devil is supposed to be trying to operate in our lives. He has been 6,000 years running the same battle plan and has not failed yet. <laughs> Save for one man, that'd be Jesus Christ, is the only time he's ever failed. He got Adam, and he got everybody ever since. Till he got to Jesus Christ, he missed one time, and on it goes, and he's gotten everybody since Jesus. He doesn't have to change his battle plan. You know what his battle plan is? He started in Genesis chapter 3 through his subtlety. The devil's subtle. Well, that seems like trickery. You don't think he's above trickery? There's a reason he's a serpent and he crawls around on the ground. They're not much lower than him. He's going to be up by any means necessary. He's going to subtly come in to do what? Well, to be the tempter. Isn't that what he does? He comes in subtly so that he can tempt. That's what he did in Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4 to Jesus Christ. That's what he does to you. He's the tempter. He subtly tempts you to go towards sin so that he can snare you. Like he does in 2 Timothy chapter 2. They're brought under the snare and the condemnation of the devil. He is looking to trap you. Why? So that he can devour you. It's a whole lot easier to get you if you're already caught in a trap than it is if you are just out free wandering around. So what's his plan? His plan is to be subtle, to tempt you so he can snare you, so he can devour you and destroy your life. And the Christian goes, what's the big deal? They play around with sin, they pray, play around in their thought life, they pray around, pr play around over here, and they play with this, and they play with that, and then they go, well, I don't understand why I got swallowed up. I don't understand why the devil could get me. Because you didn't secure a battlefield. You didn't go ahead and protect yourself. And then you're swallowed up by a devil who is gladly ready to eat you. He is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And you're walking around going, what's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. It's life or death, and it's your spiritual life we're worried about. The devil is a serious adversary, and he takes his job awful serious. What concerns me, the old preacher said, is that it don't concern you. The devil's in it to win. And when he lost your soul, he goes, okay, I'll go ahead and take their life if I can get it. I'll destroy their testimony. I'll destroy their family. I'll destroy their I'll destroy everything I possibly can and make it so that they lose their life. If I can just get everything else, I'll take it. He is a taker and he will take what he can get. Not only him, but you've got another adversary. Look over at the book of James. To your left, a few pages, James chapter 4. James chapter 4. He 
says in verse number four, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The world, the world shows up. The world is the society that we live in, the thought process of the world, the crazy system that you and I are stuck in. His answer in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 15 is, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Say, so what does the world have? The lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. They're the tools the devil likes to use to tempt, but they're the thing the world is. All that's out there is lust, lust, and pride. And that's the temptation. The temptation and the allure is, come get what you want. Come get what you want. You know, it's strange. Uh, those of us that grew up in church and, and, you know, we lived clean. We didn't have any real, you know, it's not like... I, I'm not tempted by, by a beer sitting right here or some drugs or whatever. Some, some of you, that's your past. And maybe you'd be tempted if there was a beer sitting right here. I wouldn't be. There's no lust there. But there's lust at other things. There's a desire to take other things that God told me not to take. There's a desire to have other things that God told me not to have. It doesn't have to be like that. It's just anything the Lord told you not to have. And the Lord says, oh, you can't have that. And the devil says, oh, sure you can. Oh, sure you can. It's strange. We always equate all that stuff just to alcohol and drugs and all that. No. You realize the Lord told you to safeguard your heart and to protect yourself from the things that would draw you away of your own lust and enticed, James? And Satan knows he's subtle. He knows which one of the world's wonders you want and what you seem to always wonder after. He knows what you seem to desire and he is ready to go ahead and put that in front of you so you'll think about it. Now, ladies, I don't know what you like, all right? I'm just going to tell you that right now. Gentlemen, you know what we do? I can talk about us. We set our eyes on something that we want. And then we figure out how to get it. We're good at it. We're really good at it. If I'm not careful, I will own every, every Milwaukee 18-volt tool, every case, every, I'll own it all. Good night. I walk into Home Depot and I just about, I mean, that's, so oh, I don't care about tools. Yeah, you care about something. You care about something and you seem to be able to figure out how to get those things. You ever notice that? You can always seem to figure out how to get those things. Why is it that you can't seem to figure out how to get a better relationship with your Savior? Because you lust after the wrong things. We lust and desire to have and we have not and we fight to obtain it and we go ahead and you read all the passages, they're all over. First John, you read the whole book. You get it over and over and over again. You know what we find? We find we can get the things that we want and what we lust after. You know what the world wants? The world wants you to go after all those things. They make it shinier and newer and better and more amazing and fantastic and they expect you to drop whatever money you want to drop on it. They expect you to go after whatever it is. They wave in front of you and you go, oh, shiny, and you go after it. And that's what you do. There's a reason they paint bass boats so shiny. It's not for the fish, it's for you. Get your attention. There's a reason they make it look as good as they make it. There's a reason. And it always looks good. And whether it's the alcohol and the drugs or whether it's something as simple and innocent as a cordless 18-volt duel, 
And you go, oh, it's so useful to me. It doesn't make any difference. You better safeguard. You better make sure you aren't just buying that because it's the lust that you have. It, it's up to you. But the truth is, there's always something more you could want. And what do we do, gentlemen? We think on these things. And it's not the list in Philippians 4.8. It's the catalog we just picked up. And it's this, and it's that, and it's all those things that we want. And we want, and we want, and we want, and we just keep going after what we want. So, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Except it's all your lust. And your mind is consumed of those things. And not once did you think, does God want me even to have that? And I'm not saying don't have nice things. Have nice things. The Lord wants to give you life more abundant. I have no problem with people having nice things. I've got nice things. I think we ought to have a nice church building. I think we ought to have a ni- I think everything ought to be nice. I think it ought to look good. It ought to appeal to people. I don't think the Lord wants you to go ahead and be a beggar in the corner. It's not what he designed you to be. You're the child of a king. I understand that. But too many times we run after our lusts and desires. And the devil occupies your mind with all those things. So you aren't thinking about what you ought to think about. The battlefield's the mind. What are you thinking on? Galatians chapter 5, of course. I covered a lot of the stuff the world has, but there's a mentality within the world. A victim mentality. You can go ahead and play the victim if you like. That's the world's mentality. The world's mentality is you got to think everything is against you and everybody's against you and you're owed something all the time. And you know what you're owed? A lake of fire for all of eternity. That's what you're owed. Praise God, Jesus Christ paid the debt of all of your sins and you don't have to go there. If you got what you deserved, you'd get exactly what I deserve and you and I would be burning for all of eternity and we'd deserve every moment of it. You don't deserve your your student debt canceled and you don't deserve a free cell phone and you don't deserve free housing and you don't deserve $8 million of extra money because of unemployment because COVID is terrible. You don't deserve all that. You don't. You know what you deserve? To pay for all of your own sins. And Jesus Christ paid it all. Trust me, you don't want to get what you deserve. It's much better the Lord took care of that for you. Anyways, I'm going to get all off. I could do this for a long time, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. Our third adversary is the one that you and I have to deal with constantly. We may be bombarded with the ideas of what the world has and the haves and the have-nots, and we may be bombarded with the thoughts the devil tries to slide in to get us to pay attention to what he wants us to pay attention to and the subtle whispers that he wants to give to try and entice you and to try and distract you and to try and trap you and try and snare you and devour you. But the truth is you and I have more trouble with this last one than we do of anything else. Verse number 16 here of Galatians 5, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and the, these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Our last em- enemy is ultimately our flesh. We deal with the flesh constantly. You wake up with it, you go to bed with it, you spend all day with it, you go, it's everywhere. It, it is unending the things that your flesh wants and wants to do and craves and desires to have and wants to just, it just wants to be contrary to everything that you should do for God. It wants to do everything wrong. Romans chapter 7 is, is the absolute perfect chapter on it. And Paul, the things that I would, I do not. And the things I would not, that do I. And he goes back and forth over and over again in one of the most tongue-twistery chapters that's ever been written. And he goes on to say, that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. 
For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. I mess this thing up so often. Why? Because the will is there to do the right thing because I got the Holy Spirit of God inside of me. But how to perform it, I just seem to fail because my flesh just keeps getting in the way. You say, how do I stop that? How do do I compete with the idea? Well, he told you right there, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's the question of who's going to be in charge. It's the question of which thought process are we going to go with here. Now, I've already mentioned the battlefield, and the battlefield is the mind. This whole fight ultimately is taking place in the mind. It's not out here in front of us where we can see it. It's not flesh and blood and all the things in front of us, and we get to grab a weapon, and we get to go ahead and fire away, and we get to destroy our enemies in front of us. Instead, the problem is that it's an internal conflict inside your mind. And the flesh that is constantly there is an influence on the mind. And the world is an outside influence that is constantly there trying to press upon your mind. And the devil is on the outside. If you're saved, he's on the outside trying to peer in and try and give you things so that he can tell you what you should do and what you should go after. And the thoughts he wants to give you to try and go ahead and tell you to twist the way that you think so you don't think the way God wants you to think so that he can get you to do what he wants you to do because that's what he did to Eve was he just told her what he wanted her to do and he got her to see what he wanted her to see through his subtleties so that she'd take what he wanted her to take and eat what he wanted her to eat so she'd die like he wanted her to die well what do I do about that well just like in a regular battle there's tactics there's there's tools for the work There's a fight that's going on and there's a way to win. It's not that we just get to do whatever and well, or I guess I'm just going to lose because I always seem to lose. We won't go there for the sake of time. Instead, uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I will mention one of the other ones. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I believe it got preached on this morning. Romans chapter 12, right? Verses 1 and 2. Did I get that right, preacher? That's what you did. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your body. No. By the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I won't explain all that. You can listen to the message from this morning. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to renew the mind. Because the mind is where the fight is. He's not trying to fix the body. He's not trying to fix the world. He's not trying to trap the devil right now. He'll take care of all that later. What he's trying to do for the Christian is he's trying to renew the battlefield so your protections can be put back in. And he's trying to renew the mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we end the chapter in verse number 16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Don't you want a good trainer? Who's better trainer to beat the devil and beat the world and beat the flesh than Jesus Christ? Who's going to instruct you? Well, Jesus Christ better. Well, how do I get his mind on it? Well, we have the mind of Christ. Verse 16. Say, what is it? You're looking at it the pages of a Bible. And we turn to those pages to do what? To renew our mind. To think on the right things. Those battlefields were casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The problem we have is we don't think like Christ and we don't know enough about God to dispel the things the enemy wants. The more we know about him and the more we know about how he'd want us to live and the more we think about what he wants us to do and think the way he wants us to think gains us all of our victories. It is the renewal of the mind. He tells you in Philippians chapter 2, let this 
mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He says, what's that mind I'm supposed to have? A mind like Christ to be humble and obedient to your Savior. There it is. Boy, wouldn't that make a big change in your life? The only man to ever beat the devil was Jesus Christ. And you can have his mind on the subject. You can have all of his training and tactics. It's not carnal training. It's not you going out and running another mile. And it's not you going out and lifting so many weights. It's not you doing any of those. It's not you sparring in a ring. It's none of that. It is you training with that book and learning what God says about all the things that you have to fight. I don't know where your weaknesses are. That's why you need to know your mind. Where am I weak-minded? Boy, isn't that sad. People don't want to understand where they're weak-minded. Well, if you learn where you're weak-minded, you can strengthen those things. And you get it from the Word of God to strengthen them. Look over at 2 Timothy chapter 2. You need the right training. You say, what's the right training? The Word of God is the right training. The mind of God on the matter gives you the right training. You need to train your mind to no longer respond and react to all these things, to no longer react to the what everybody outside, those carnal things are happening around you, those carnal issues are happening around you, all those things are getting spun around and you're getting angry and you're getting upset and you're starting to react in your flesh and that thing's starting to rise up and it's a matter of the mind. You gotta calm it down and go, nope, I'm not going to react to everything around me. I'm gonna stay at peace. Peace. Philippians 4, peace. That passeth all understanding. Peace. I preached on it a few weeks ago. Peace. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach, them also, teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. You know what you need? You need the right training, but you need the right coach. Why? Because you need to know what to do lawfully. The devil is the deceiver. He's the tricker, right? He likes, to, he likes to trick you. He likes to mess with things. He likes to play around and try and just twist everything around and make it. You know what God wants you to be? Honest and lawful. He doesn't like you to be a dirty fighter. Isn't that strange? The devil can go ahead and do whatever. Nobody's lower than him. He'll be as low and as terrible and as awful as he possibly can be. You know what God says? That's not supposed to be you. You strive lawfully. And the Lord will tell you what's in the rules. So that you can win lawfully and you'll win every time lawfully. You don't need to fight dirty to beat the devil. That's his job. You ever notice? See, this is all that stuff you get in the movies, right? They stole it all from a Bible, right? The bad guy, he always your handed dirty deeds, and the good guy is supposed to be above reproach. And the good guy always seems to come out on top. You say, where'd they get that from? A Bible, over and over and over again. They just stole it from him. God wrote everything original. They steal it all from him. And they do all the dirty, underhanded deeds, and you know what the Christian's supposed to do? Not be like them. He's supposed to be like the one who saved him. So then he's supposed to do it lawfully. So what does that mean? 
That means he just follows the law of his God. He follows the rule. You say, what's the rule? The rule is that you go ahead and you don't cut corners. You know what Christians try to do? They try to do what everybody else tries to do, cut corners. Well, you know, if I just do these certain things right here, I'll get a victory and then I don't have to maintain that victory. Yes, you do. Well, you know, if I can just get that thing out of my life for about a week or two, I'll be okay. No, it'll come back. It'll come back real quick and it'll come back real strong. Say, so what, what do I need to do? You need to make a commitment. There's a commitment that has to take place. If you want a victory, you realize if you're a fighter, if you're a wrestler, if you're a this, you know, if you're going to be that, you have to commit some effort and some time to learn how to and to gain the victory in. Because you realize that the long haul is not just going to be today. You're looking out to the end of the year and am I still going to have enough strength and endurance to finish? You're looking to the end of the warfare. Am I going to have enough in the tank? Am I going to be trained well enough? Am I going to last? Or am I just going to fall away and faint like all many, oh, so many others have? He looks around. Look over at Proverbs chapter 16. I got to hurry up and finish here, but. It takes a commitment to learn how to fight the way God wants you to fight. I can't cover every aspect of the fight tonight. You and I would be here forever. All right. But when you start realizing that battlefield is in the mind and that it's not about all the externals, it's about my own personal internal. And you recognize where that battlefield is so that you can recognize where you're weak so you can defend within that battlefield. You can then go ahead and recognize who your enemies are and train to defend that particular ground. He says in Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 3, Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. That sounds pretty fortified to me, doesn't it? If you have established something, it is set in stone almost. Sounds like a good fortified position to me. Well, then maybe it's a little bit of question of what do I do and allow in my life that changes the way that I think. We often time, we deal with an addictions. We have an addictions program. We have those things. Pastor Legault and I counsel often. Oftentimes we're looking for trigger points in somebody's life what makes you think the way that you think that causes you to do that there's a thought process behind it I've got multiple books and you can do multiple psychological things and all sorts spiritual side and then the idea of the psychology you know what they all understand they all understand one thing if you have continued to make one groove in your mind and gone in the same direction in your mind over and over and over again that is a repeating pattern. That is a habit. That is an addiction. That is a whatever you want to call it. You formulated something in your brain that if this thing's happened and anything lines up that dumps you into that track, you're going into that track undoubtedly. Whether it's a person that you get around, a place that you go, a song that you hear, a smell that you smell, a food that you eat, or a what something happens and it triggers something in your mind for those things to continue. You realize you have those triggers for all the sins that you commit? You don't accidentally, that's the snare of the devil. He has conditioned you to funnel you to the same snare over and over, right? They're taken captive by him at his will. Every time he wants you, he sends the same thing. You go down the same track. You hit the same snare. He's got you every time. And he knows it. And the sad thing is, the Lord gave you a way to escape. He promises that. But you choose 
to not take that way because you go, well, I'll be stronger this time. Because you don't recognize what triggered you. You better figure it out. And commit thy works unto the Lord. Change what you do. To do what? Make a commitment to change what you do and who you're around. And how you re change. To gain what? To gain some stability. That he'd establish some things in your mind. He tells us every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Could you be faithful and be committed to going, Lord, I don't know what I keep doing. I don't know why I keep doing that over and over again. Could you show me? Because if you'd show me, I'll change it. If you show me, I'll make the change. Could you commit to that? Could you make that kind of a commitment to him? God, I want to change. I don't want that failure. I don't want to I don't like being weak. I want a victory. Okay, well then you got to make a change. You've got to be willing to go ahead and let the Lord go ahead and commit your works to him and say, "God, I'll do whatever it is you tell me to do." If you could give me that victory. But most people aren't willing to do that. They say, "I'm comfortable." I'm okay. It's not that bad. I, I mean, it's not like I'm so-and-so. <laughs> I'm at least better than them. And the Lord says, yeah, but I can give you victory. Why do you want to just be better than them? Why can't you be great with me? Look over at Proverbs 24, last one. Proverbs chapter 24, verse number 16. He says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. They say, what does that have to do with a fight? You know, there's rounds to a fight, right? You think about any, you know, there's, there's rounds over and over again. They get the clock and they get clocked out and they go back to their corner and they may have gotten knocked around for that first round. You know what the goal is? The goal is to go back to your corner. And that guy, your coach, goes, hey, did you see what he did? Hey, did you see what happened? Okay, do this. Do this. So that doesn't happen again. A just man falleth seven times. He gets back up, and you know what he says? I'm not going to do that again. He's not going to get me in the same spot he got me last time. He may take me down again, but not going to be because I didn't learn from the last time he took me down. I'm going to go ahead and listen to my coach. I'm going to go into my corner. I'm going to grab a Bible, and I'm going to open that thing up, and I'm going to look at the manual. I'm going to say, okay, God, what do I need to do here to fix this? Okay, I'm willing to change. I'm adaptable. I've got to adapt to what? To the new situation I'm under now. I didn't know that was going to happen when I got in that fight, but I know it's happening now. And I'm not going to stay that way. Every victory brings a new challenge. You're going to win, you're going to gain, you're going to gain some ground, and then we're going to find another spot where we're weak. And we're going to have to go, okay, I need to fix that too. Okay, I'm weak over here, now I need to fix this too. Okay, I've got a problem here in my thoughts, I need to fix that right there. And over and over, you know what you're going to spend the rest of your life doing, Christian? Congratulations. It's going to find out where you're weak so that you can become strong. And it's going to be his strength and his power and his might and his victories because it's going to be his mind instead of yours. It is replacing your way of thinking and your terrible way of thinking. Because your way of thinking has got you in the mess that you are in. And it's being willing to say, God, I'm not going to do it my way any longer. I'm going to do it your way. I just need you to do it. The battlefield is not out there. The battlefield is very simply right here. If you win here, there's nothing out there that will stop it. Peace is an internal person with you and Jesus Christ. Victory is held between you and Jesus Christ. 
It is secured solely by what he does for you. It has nothing to do with anybody else out there. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with how you react and how you respond to what they do. It is the mind. It is solely the mind. And it's whether or not your mind and your will will be yielded to Jesus Christ alone. Or if you'll continue to fight in your own strength and in your own way. He told, he told Timothy, fight the good fight. Fight the good. It's a good fight. It is worth every moment if you'd be willing to fight. If you'd be willing to be in the fight, it's worth it. And if not, and you'll be like so many others who never gained a victory, never did anything great, and didn't amount to much because they refused to do it God's way. Let's go ahead and stand. You say, oh, you got this all figured out. Nope. <laughs> I know enough. I know enough to recognize that I'm in a fight. And if you can't figure out you're in a fight, I don't know what to do to help you. And I also figured out enough to know that God can give me a victory and nobody else can. I can't get a victory by myself and neither can you. You need him. If you're in here tonight without Jesus Christ, this message had nothing to do with you. Except for this. The adversary, the devil, has you. He wants to keep you. And he wants you to spend eternity in a lake of fire with him. And Jesus Christ has done everything he needed to do to give you victory so you don't have to. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we're about to sing a hymn. I will add, I'll invite you again to come. I'll open up a Bible. Someone will open a Bible and show you the answers that you're asking for. We'll show you how you can know that your sins are forgiven forever. Christian, if you're in here tonight, you may be struggling and you need to fight and you feel like you're losing in a fight. Maybe you need to go visit the coach in the corner and say, coach, what am I doing wrong? Lord, what am I doing? Why am I failing again? I need a victory. Or maybe it's, hey, God, I know I haven't been listening to you. You already told me what to do. Help me to do it. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you need to deal business with God. Lord, I do pray you would help us tonight to get the victories you need us to get. Help us to stand. Father, we're in an evil day, and there is no mistake in it. Father, I do pray you give us the courage to stand, and having done all to stand. Lord, once again, we pray someone here is lost. They wouldn't leave that way. We pray you would touch their hearts tonight. We love you. Have your will in your way even now. In Jesus' name, amen.